This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to Christopher. Wait, you screwed me. Let's just roll with it. Even What's though you're. Oh, your, your dulcet tones threw me off my intro today. I was like, are we bothering you? Did you not? You're you still like, have I'm to Eric say, I'm Christopher. Okay. I'm Christopher. We're not drunk. Let me just say and that. And I'm first. Eric. I'm Christopher. And I'm Eric. And we're not and drunk. And you're listening. And we're not drunk, and you're allegedly listening to our podcast, episode 54. Um, I just need to ground myself by reading the details off the show notes. Episode 54. Christopher, re- you are uh, all keyed up. Did you have a lot of black tea this morning? What's no, happening I, with you? I, I, had, I went back for a second um, shift of Oreo cookies this morning because I, re- I felt my energy that level That explains tipping. it. So you're all higgledy-piggledy. Higgledy piggledy, yes. Another uh, fun word on our last episode. We talked about hoot nannies. Oh, I never and hullabaloo's and yes. uh, all sorts of words that Eric acted like were common parlance in the English language, but are oh my are god! Really not. I will always remember the time I said I needed to take my shoes to the cobbler, and I thought you were going <laughs> to lose your mind. I was like, "What medieval village will we find a cobbler in?" Yeah, and I was like, Beverly Center. <laughs> I think it was Santa Monica Boulevard here in West Hollywood. But it's been so long since I've been outside that I might have forgotten the directions to the cobbler. I don't think the cobbler is there anymore, right? No, and I think the one that was on Santa Monica moved to the Beverly Center, or maybe it was the other way around. I honestly can't remember anymore. Okay, well, and I'm glad that you can't, because it's not actually that great a story, and we have a lot to talk about today. Do we? On Yes, we do, because you made us do an episode of True Crime TV Club that I'm going to say is going to be one for the books, and you have been itching for us to do this show forever, ever since you first saw it. Uh, It is a series called Death by Gossip, hosted by none other than Wendy Williams herself, widely known for having solved multiple crimes. The most (laughs) unapologetic gossip in the whole world. And this is the usual disclaimers that we issue here on True Crime TV Club, which Eric always accuses me of giving in a game show announcer's voice. Uh, but it I is love not it. A re- it is not a requirement that you watch the episode that we are going to discuss today, because our goal here is to serve it up for you in such detail it will feel as if you did watch the episode. And in fact, we've had many of our party people and listeners complain that they've gone and watched the episode and been disappointed that it's not as fun and unrepetitive as our account of it is. So we'll just put that out there. That's we are we a lot of fun. It is tough it, that that it, we are definitely that X factor and finding fun where maybe it might be very well concealed. 
<laughs> and buried and blown to bits. Um, the show, as I said, is called Death by Gossip. The episode is entitled Her Last Christmas, and it's season one, episode three. I will just say there is only one season of this show that we are aware of, that I am so aware So far. Of. So far. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Those are the disclaimers. The disclaimers are out of the way. Um so I, I'm going to try to disc- – I'm, I'm wondering if I should put my, my takeaway about not necessarily the case that the hour of television covers, but the delivery system, if you will, at the top of the episode or at the end of the episode. But I'm just going to put it out there. I think that while Wendy Williams is an amazingly talented personality, she hasn't quite got the right tone – to narrate horrific murders yet. She sounded more like she was trying to sell me a line of sexy body oils. I, you know, like, she was just uh, sublime. She was such a riot. There was, like, we would talk about these horrific details and then she would, like, arch an eyebrow and say, I don't know what she's talking about. And then that would be <laughs> it. Like, she apparently recorded the entire series one morning in a studio standing in front of a blank white psych wall because, like, her comments could have been pretty much anywhere and were so minimal. Like, she literally would say, like, one sentence and then we would go back to the rest of the uh, the show. But her on-camera and- work was just sublime. Uh, okay, sublime is one word for it. Yeah, she would cock an eyebrow and be like, well, we didn't know if she was blown to bits or alive. Ooh. You know, it was like, okay, all right. When yeah, it was really, but the tone crime. of the whole thing is just like, and then bringing in neighborhood gossips, I, I don't know, there was just bringing, actually talking to gossipy people in the in the area of the crime was, I thought, an interesting uh, addition. Like, sometimes my favorites, it happens here in California on the news. They will go and interview the neighbor who hated them during mm-hmm. as part of the news report, and you'll get some real dirt um, mm-hmm. just randomly on the street from some belligerent neighbor who was never a big fan of whoever it is who's made the news that day. And so there right. was that kind of tone. And then there was a, a, the most, it is the the most flattering recreation casting in the history of true crime television. Like these, they, these hunks would come on and be the, 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 the guys playing what, I mean, hunks would come on and be the guys who were playing. And then you would see, and then Jabba the Hutt would show up in the, the real footage from the courtroom and you would go, He's supposed to be him or she's supposed to be her or whatever. Yeah. It was like, wow, these people should really send them a nice note. These are very flattering casting choices. Uh, Yeah, it was it was definitely that. And I have to say, yes, if you watch true crime specials at all, you know that the um, the the bitchy, gossipy neighbors, the judgmental neighbors are are a staple. I think 30 percent, 40 percent of Dateline is women taking the opportunity to give interviews and they they affect a tone of earnestness. But they really want to be there to say that if their good friend had just taken her advice on men, she would not have ended up buried beside the road like she yeah. was. And today. sometimes you get church lady, which is who yeah. was the which who was doing the the, the yes. commentary on this particular feature. It was anyway, we should before we give ever, all of the surprises away, we should g- go on out into the weeds or I guess it's Florida. So the reeds in the swamp. <laughs> um, 
and uh, began talking about this uh, sizzling little uh, true crime adventure. Jacksonville, Florida, January 6th, 2001. A few days after Christmas, an early morning explosion rocks a quiet Jacksonville suburb. And then we employ Eric Shaw Quinn's least favorite device ever. And I'm not talking about a bomb. I'm talking about the dramatic extended I mean, flashback. I was the most expansive one I've ever seen. I don't believe I have ever seen 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier, we're given absolutely no information other than we're in Jacksonville. It's January 6, 2001. An explosion has happened in a suburb and boom, 20 years earlier. All right. And away we go. Wow. Lillian James and her husband, Mark, are paying a visit to Lillian's stepmother, Marjorie. Uh, We learn the background of the family, which is that Lillian's biological mother died of brain cancer when she was just five years old. Marjorie married her dad and immediately showered Lillian with exactly the love and affection that she needed and basically became her real mother. So essentially, it is the opposite of the story that we typically hear about step parents. Yeah, she was the loving stepmother. The, the very opposite of whatever. Lillian attends college and gets a degree in special education. Her focus is on teaching other abled children to be self-sufficient. They use the term handicapped, but I don't know if that's the one that we are supposed to use anymore. Um, everything in Lillian's life seems to be going great. She and her husband, Mark, are wildly in love. As Eric pointed out earlier, the actor playing him in reenactments is a total stud, even though that's, that's not reality. It just makes it more believable to buy into their happiness. And then one night... And Mark she's is- also a, a, a much better than the, than the original version. The, like, she showered her with uh, lo- true love, affection, and cupcakes. Absolutely. Mark and, works uh, a double shift and falls asleep behind the wheel on the way home from work and plows into the back of a concrete truck and dies instantly. Uh, Lillian then enters what they describe as a tailspin. She is absolutely grief-stricken and devastated for about a few months. And then she is getting ready to For a minute or two. Right. And then she puts on a good dress and makes up her face and goes out to a strip club with her girlfriends. Right. And they set it up like, oh, she's got a date and she's talking to Marjorie, her stepmother, and she's going, oh, how exciting. And then smash cut to the strip club, male strip club, where she and all her girlfriends are getting drunk and having a good time. And where she promptly bumps into a gentleman named William Jarvis, who works as a bouncer bouncer. at the club. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Go, Lillian. They have instant chemistry, the narration tells us, which is code for they had sex on the first night they met. And Uh, a bunch of Long Island iced teas. (laughs) (laughs) A bunch and who knows what handful of what. Uh, Their relationship is described as being on the fast track. Marjorie approves. Then they become regulars at Lillian's church. Uh, and I think this is around the time we get to meet. We meet who church I lady, yes, Judgy Rita, and that's Lillian's friend from church. And she is Judgy Rita her yard, When her yard is better than yours, it's clear, and uh, she has a lot of opinions about the events to come. Mm-hmm. And the hairdo to go with them. They want to get married, Lillian. Love Rita. Marjorie thinks it's a little quick. But Lillian begins planning the wedding of her dreams anyway. William lands a job as an FAA flight controller, 
And Judgy Rita immediately has an opinion about this because her husband is a supervisor at air traffic control. And I think Rita's uh, verdict is that William doesn't seem the type of person to be working for the FAA. He doesn't seem like FAA material. In My Judgy. favorite was when she said when she found out that he was a bouncer at a strip club, she said, yeah, that seems like the guy I actually met. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, because Lillian was telling some story about how they met that was total bullshit. I, I met uh, she yeah. at a church retreat, and she said he. Yeah. Did, Rita said he did not seem like a church retreat type of fella to me. Yes, absolutely. Rita also said of her husband's coworkers were some of them are kind of weird. <laughs> it's one of the most stressful jobs ever. Uh, maybe not right now because there are fewer planes in the sky, but air traffic control jobs are like the incidence of mortality and heart attacks are like through the roof. It's like you have hundreds. It was and 2001. It was yeah. immediately prior to um, 9-11. I would think that it would have been one of the more stressful um, yeah. periods in uh, air traffic control in history, right? Immediately Absolutely. following whatever. Started yeah. in 2001. When was the murder? Was the murder now, we're in, in 2001? We're in 1990. Remember, it oh. was 20 oh, years okay. earlier. Well, this was that was back when um, when Reagan was doing uh, the uh, union bust started union busting as part of his uh, party's uh, official policy, and he fired all of the traffic air traffic controllers because they went on strike and uh, planes mm-hmm. started raining from the sky. So a, they were desperate for new hires and B, it was a particularly stressful time to be both a passenger and an air traffic controller and alive. Um, yes. Yes. And so Lillian decides they should have a child during this stressful time. She gets pregnant. Um, by 1990, I should say, she's 34 years old, and she's settled into her new life as a stay-at-home mom. But the rumor mill is starting to churn, and we're going to hear that phrase a lot on this episode of Death oh, by yeah. Gossip. Because it's Death maybe, by Gossip. And here's another phrase we hear all the time. Maybe everything is too good to be true. That's well, isn't that always the case? Crime staple. William is seen flirting with other women. Then Lillian catches him looking at something on the computer, and it turns out to be an internet chat room, which he shows her after some reenacted disagreement that I don't think was real, because I think Lillian was in on this the entire time and never. And maybe she was the one looking at them on the website. Right. It's an internet chat room catering to plus size women called BBW, which stands for Big Beautiful Women. Much to William's surprise, Lillian is very interested in this chat room, which I think, again, and is proof that I have to say that's time. really kind of amazing given the time period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that would be really early converters because like the Internet in 1990. Yeah. Do you remember the Internet in 1990? I think we had email at school. And like I, that was it. Like, I don't even know. No, not in 1990. That was just way earlier. Yeah, yeah, no, well, we if had this to... is if this is 1990, this is pretty now he was an air traffic controller, but like wow, that is really like bulletin board period in internet. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like yeah. it was that would have been very like the way they depicted it it was like a, a 20th 21st century dating site and that was mm-hmm. just simply not available at that time period. So it would have been much more like people posting stuff and reading and posting back to them because 
there was the internet was not really a thing. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I didn't I had I had missed out on that because I kept trying to black out that it was 20 years earlier because I thought that was so annoying at the top of the episode. Okay, so she creates a sexy online profile which becomes her alter ego and it goes from just chatting to suddenly they're in an open relationship. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. So, after discovering her husband playing around online in a chat room devoted to big, beautiful women, Lillian becomes interested in developing an online profile, and her husband and her together become interested in suddenly having an open relationship. However... They have ground rules for this relationship, and as we are told by, let me see if I can get her name up, the alternative relationship counselor who is interviewed in segments, Catherine Rose. I love that um, that's a thing, right? Yes, absolutely. The alternative but, relationship counselor. Well, I, this is an alternative. To, I'm not in a relationship, so maybe I should see one of those. That's very alternative. <laughs> yeah, a relationship with yourself is maybe the best kind and also a form of an alternative relationship. Absolutely. I certainly enjoy it. <laughs> so anyway, she says Raise that about me. open relationships require um, honesty. Uh, honesty is, a, no, they were, I'm sorry, they require some form of ground rules. And she throws right. out some possibilities for ground rules. Honesty is the best policy is one form, which means tell me everything that you've done. Um, and the don't other ask, is, don't tell. Don't ask, don't tell. Um, they choose a third way. I guess, which is they become part of a swingers club in Jackson. A couple who plays together stays together. They didn't if say that, but that's the third one. Only. And that, I think, might have been the idea when they were starting out, but it did not exactly maintain that way. Despite efforts to keep things quiet, Lillian's coziness with other couples around town sparks gossip. And Q, who does that send us back to? But Judgy Rita in her garden. Judgy who is, Rita, Mita maid. Yeah, she has definitely got things to say. Eyebrows to cock and the hairdo to, uh, to bring it all home. She says she is hearing things through grapevines, which you never want one of your neighbors or friends to say. And, and there are no grapevines in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> They've all sunk into the water. Uh, Rita says it's weird because Lillian doesn't really fit the profile because apparently Rita has a lot of experience with swingers clubs, even though she's not apparently. a member of one and judges them. So um, apparently, but Rita, but un, despite Rita's judgment, Lillian is kind of a big hit. 
Yes, she is the they darling. They love them some Rita. And because the guy playing um, William oh looks absolutely God. nothing like the guy who actually is William, um, we can't understand it, but nobody really wants to have anything to do with him. And I got to tell you, I didn't look up any of the real men that were the other players in this from the Swingers Club, but the actors playing them were all like, I was like, okay, swing right now. I'll oh, watch. my God. All y'all ben. Swing. <laughs> Ben, right ben I would have left with Ben. I would have I would have thrown my car keys at Ben. He was he looked great. Yes, the one playing Ben was definitely like wow. One of the swingers was named Ben Morrison, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know yes. if the real Ben Morrison looked anything like that, but the Rian Crapter was. And I thought the Rian Crapments were reasonable. They would just they say, were. Happy Merry Christmas, Mom, or whatever. They would not be, there was not, they didn't do much in the way of, I don't think they would have been up to much more than that. They didn't well, the actors like the were pretty okay. I thought the actors did a good job acquitting right. themselves nicely. Yeah, they yeah. were fine, but they weren't asked to do very much. They were very no. sort of uh, stylized. William apparently doesn't know that Lillian is enjoying other women behind his back. But William apparently feels he has a right to have an opinion about this when he does find out, even though he's sleeping with other women behind Lillian's back. And I'm assuming this was all outside the boundaries of their agreement and the Swingers Club. A lot of people in the Swingers group don't like William Jarvis, and they only put up with him because he's attached to Lillian, and Lillian has become really popular. This, of course, makes William furious and makes Lillian call him a hypocrite for being angry, given that he's cheating on her all over town. And I assume it sounded like he was before they joined the Swingers Club, that this was like a stopgap measure on a Well, she caught him on the internet, which didn't even really exist, hooking up with people in the first place. So, yeah, I think that problem started way before this. Um, But the problem on William's side gets a lot worse because he begins to drain their bank accounts. And it turns out he has a lot of unexplained trips out of town and he's clearly spending money on other women. And it's showing up on credit card receipts and bank statements. And finally, in a fiery reenactment argument on the front steps of their house, Lillian decides... The same woman who jogs in, no matter where Lillian lives, this woman (laughs) keeps jogging past. She must have been the most dedicated long-distance runner in all of Jacksonville. But no matter where she moves in Jacksonville, this woman in the same shiny belt and, uh, and Daisy Dukes keeps running by her house. It was amazing. She's a marathon runner. Jacksonville has bred a lot of marathon runners. We don't know that about Jacksonville. Nobody and talks about it. And flirty slut, because she also flirts with Williams sometimes when, he, when he, she slows down long enough. But she's and always willing running. to talk to the police later when they show up. But I don't want to get ahead because of Because she was are. running by her mother's house later. But right now she's running past William and Lillian's house. <laughs> she keeps running. She's constantly running. She's the runner of Jacksonville. Um, So Lillian and William divorce after 13 years of marriage. They agree to share custody of their daughter, Stephanie. Lillian says goodbye to the swinging scene. Yeah, right. Starts dating a single dad named Pete, who is also played by an unbelievable babe. Oh, my God. I would kick Ben out of the room (laughs) if Pete showed up. 
wow. They never showed you what the original Pete looked like. The other ones, you saw some of the original people. But Pete was gazow. Gazow, indeed. So I think we can definitely say that Wendy Williams played a role in the casting of the reenactors. Oh, she was absolutely oh, in no, charge of the not him. Casting. I don't like him. I love him. More him. Yes, absolutely. More of him. Yes, he's More the Pete of, of my dreams. Yes, gets right. him. So Pete is also divorced, and he's going through a bitter custody battle with a total lunatic named Holly. And we know Holly is a lunatic because when they shoot her reenactor straight on, she is crossing her arms and scowling like she is mad that and Trump had the election stolen like from him. Like she's going to be, um, yeah, adhering herself. To, like if you licked them and pushed her against a plate glass window, she'd stay there. Right. Absolutely. So we go back to Judgy Rita because Judgy Rita needs to say the thing that all Judgy friends say of their friend's relationship all the time. They were moving too fast. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah, that's always a huge problem when you know what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So more information about Holly, Pete's crazy ex-wife that he's going through the divorce with. She has apparently tried to kidnap the child they have together. Um, she confronts Lillian in public in a parking lot and accuses uh, during her. During the grocery shop. I mean, the Christmas shopping. My God, who would yeah. attack someone during Christmas shopping? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. And. Uh, amazingly, we are back at January 6, 2001, we which is where closing we Closing fast. We have covered 20 fucking years of bad marriage in um, of the blink of an eye. It's two weeks after Christmas. Marjorie and Pete are helping Lillian pack for her move out of Marjorie's house. She's planning to move in with Pete. Marjorie goes to move her car and finds a package lying on the front stoop. It's wrapped like a Christmas present. She brings it inside. And they begin to unwrap it, and inside is a tackle box, and um, Lillian reaches in, opens the tackle box, and there is a massive explosion. Suddenly, frantic 911 calls begin pouring into the Jacksonville dispatch, saying that a house in the area is on fire. The fire department uh, arrives. They find Marjorie and Pete covered in second-degree burns. They discover that Lillian was killed in a matter of seconds. This was clearly some sort of bomb. It caused an explosion and a fireball. Uh, the ATF, which stands for um, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, they investigate um, the use of explosive devices in America. They sweep in. They look for secondary devices. They shut down the whole neighborhood. You can't. The neighbors can't get access to their houses. Um, Right away, they start to discover evidence that this was a pipe bomb. They start, they discover pieces of it. Um, but they say right away that most pipe bombs do not produce this amount of fire. And that indicates that some sort of accelerant was added to the device. A lab tech finds a piece of wire that's very similar to a human hair. And they believe that it is a bridge wire from a rocket motor kit that would be used with like a little sort of, you know, I don't even know a mobile what they call a mobile rocket, almost like a a model or a toy. Yeah, it, it is like a model rocket. You can build rocket building sets are a thing. You can go to a hobby shop and get one, and you know, launch the build them and launch the rocket in your backyard. It goes up into the air, not so far, but you know, right. So in the hospital, to have a little explosion. The cops interview Marjorie, who is recovering, but she is burned over thirty percent of her body. Her right ear is split. Her arms are wrapped because they're so badly burned. Pete is also recovering, but he has lost an eye and he's lost the hearing in one of his ears. 
and when the cops arrive at Marjorie's bedside, they break the news to her that Lillian has died. And Marjorie's account in that moment makes clear to them that what was inside of that tackle box that Lillian opened was, in fact, a mail bomb. Marjorie remembers a click when the box was opened. She remembers Lillian being thrown across the room and immediately engulfed in flames. And, of course, Rita, the judgy neighbor, gets the news in her Sunday school class because that's... They, because you know, they preempt Jesus to talk about the explosion at Lillian's. Yeah, I mean, really. And so the narrator tells us there had not been a fatal bombing in Jacksonville in at least 10 years. I need to ask, is that a good statistic when it comes to fatal bombings you know, in American you cities? You know, you have to say, like, are there that many fatal bombings in Jacksonville? Wow, that is that is yeah. really an interesting thing to look into. I, I have to say that it sort of stands out. Like, I live in Los Angeles, and I don't remember in the time that I've lived here there being a fatal bombing. So 10 years doesn't seem like a very long time. Mm-hmm. Fatal bombings, I I would think, would be rarer than that. Maybe there are a lot more fatal bombings than I hear about in Los Angeles, but I kind of doubt it. There aren't, but I mean, this is also one of those specials where, like, I'm going to check the return address on every package every time before I open it. (laughs) Mail bombs completely freak me out. Um, Anyway, police rule out that her daughter Stephanie was the intended target. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember exactly how they were able to do this, but but they ruled out Stephanie as the intended target. They tracked down William, who now lives forty five minutes away. Well, there was a, there was a confusion because somebody had called into her office complaining. No, to that's Stephanie. Marjorie. That's not Stephanie. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and I have Stephanie's a, I have, the daughter. Yes, what they Stephanie is the daughter that they, they have shared custody. Lillian and um, William. But they reveal that somebody called into Marjorie's office saying, one of your employees has made me very angry. There'll be a bomb at their house soon. Did nobody tell Marjorie this before that morning? Because it seemed to me that nobody let her know because Marjorie is the one who was moving her parked car, saw a strange Christmas present sitting on her front step several days after Christmas, by the way, and just brought it inside. And if somebody from her workplace had said to her, we got this weird call about you, Marjorie. It seems like she would have been more cautious. Well, I honestly think that it was the bizarreness of it because she worked at a hospice. Mm. So mm-hmm. I think like one of your, one of like, so one of the dead people called in like hospices are where people go to, you know, be made comfortable in their final moments. Like one of their clients called in to complain about, the service at the, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like right. it must've been, it may have seemed so strange to her that she didn't give it a lot of credibility. She didn't, that was what I thought was that mm-hmm. because even she said in recounting it, she was like, nothing like that has ever happened before at the hospice where she works. Like that's just too weird. Yeah. That's a That's a good point. But it just wasn't clear to me though, if anyone had even told her. You know, like it's one thing for Marjorie to hear about it and not think it was a serious threat, but and I was know. also unclear as if it was a recorded message because they talked about the fact that whoever it was was some woman with a really pronounced. They went with Southern accent, but you know, like <laughs> somebody really hicky called in and said, "There's one of your employees pissed me off, and they're going to find a bomb. They're going to be." find a bomb on their front steps or something like as on the nose as it got at their house soon, I believe were at the their words house. Used. That's yeah. 
at their house. So yeah, okay. you know, it's a it's a it, it was a moment. It was like a really strange and surprisingly on the nose moment. So they tr- the police tracked down William right away. He lives 45 minutes away from where Lillian has moved to. He's very upset when the detectives show up, and they have a hard time believing it's him because his own daughter could have been killed. She was literally in the room, practically, when, when Lillian opened the package. And the package was left on a, it wasn't like addressed to Lillian. It was just a wrapped package left on the front steps of the house. Mm-hmm. So, so she could have t- found it and unwrapped it herself. He tells detectives he was up early, around 5.15 a.m., and that he was playing around online before he had to go to work and that he stayed online until he left for work. And the records show that he did, in fact, log on to his computer at 5.15 a.m., but hold on to that detail, put a pin in it. We're going to come back to it later. So they then focused on And he went to work at 7.30 a.m. So it was... When he said he was And he lives 40 miles away. So it was kind of... It was a pretty good alibi. It really Mm -hmm. um, It really did clear him. So they focus in on Holly. That's the evil ex-wife who scowls in all her reactions. Who just seems really like the problem. And what do you know? She wears really glitter hickey eyeshadow. Accent. <laughs> and she wears glitter eyeshadow. Yeah, there's that too. And body and body spray. Um yeah, Pete has filed a restraining order and yes, her accent is very similar to the one reported on the call that came into Marjorie's workplace. So she has an alibi, though. But she was, she was in Georgia. She was in Georgia. Um, somebody sends but investigators an to email. To be fair, Jacksonville is on the border yes. of Florida. So yeah. literally, like, just driving out of the, um, the, the city limits of Jacksonville puts you in Georgia. So mm-hmm. not as conclusive an alibi as one might ask for, but... That was her alibi nonetheless. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Investigators then receive an email containing links to all of Lillian's favorite naughty chat groups because apparently she did not step from as far Rita. back from the singles. I do think it was Rita, Judgy Rita. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. She's been following her on all of the websites that she's been on. I totally think so. And some of them mentioned, uh, no, they interview more than 100 people from this online chat room. And some of them mentioned that she stayed connected with, remember Ben Morrison, the guy Eric wants to throw his keys at? He was a member of the Jacksonville Swingers group. That's uh, right. They say that Ben wanted Lillian all for himself and had started to stalk her. And if no one, could, if he couldn't have her, no one else could. He also had a history of violence. He also has an alibi that they corroborate. But they stopped by his house and he was, 
he was clearly making pipe bombs in <laughs> his in workshop. He's and I was like, but I guess that's not an arrestable offense. <laughs> if you have an alibi, you're allowed to make pipe bombs in your garage. But or, it was like, or he was, well, that looks pipe. really suspicious to me. Uh, or he was just doing pipe work. Like you and I, we with, don't really know wires. how pipe work looks like. Okay, there were Pipes wires. and wires. It was Pipes really... You know, I don't think it happened at all, but I think they were just trying to make him look suspicious. <laughs> like the reenactment, they show up and the guy's burying a, a body-shaped bag in the backyard. And they're like, but he had an alibi we corroborated and we don't know about that other body. So we didn't bother to dig up that rolled up rug with the big <laughs> lump in the middle of it. Absolutely. Um... So what they discover from interviewing the, the folks from the swingers group is that after Lillian and William divorced, the swingers group really didn't want William around anymore. They didn't want him around before, but they really didn't want him around when he didn't have Lillian in tow. So he had been kind of blackballed. Uh, he also wasn't paying his alimony or child support, which were terms of his divorce. And then they dig deeper into his alibi. And this is when I learned something about computers that I didn't know. His computer activity, yes, he did log on at 5.15 a.m., but it stops abruptly at 5.30 a.m., and if you don't have any action on a computer, in 2001 at least, which is when this is happening, after 15 to 20 minutes, you're automatically logged off. Did that? Does that sound like a thing we still deal with on computers? I get logged out of a lot of my sites if I don't... If I'm not continuing, like if I, my bank logs me out after like, I think yeah. too quickly, but like, right. so it was probably something along those lines, like mm-hmm. a security feature. Also, you know, to be fair to Judgey Rita, this is probably who sent the links, but it seemed to me odd that they wouldn't be able to trace the email address given that it's 2001 and it's not the most sophisticated computer period in the world. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a, and, and, you know, they might have, and they just didn't include it in the special because they didn't present it like it was a big detail that they didn't know. It was just the information in it. No, but they, and they presented it as though they were once again seeing this, the same uh, website that she built in 1990 with the mm-hmm. same photographs. Um, it was, and they were it was all the very same sh- photograph and the same they screen. They were all very shocked by it. And and the guy from the, um, the reporter from the Jacksonville newspaper was, you know, all shocked about BBW as a I, classification. And I was like, Jacksonville must be way more naive than I thought about it being. Oh, and it's they not kept, a very small town. They kept saying over and over again, this is a very dangerous thing to do, to, to swing and meet strangers, and you don't know who you're letting into your life. And I'm like, nobody says this to college students at spring break. Like, people are hooking up all over the time just because she's doing yeah, it in, it's in safer a manner to go that's to, not... It's much safer yeah. to go to a strip club and pick, some, pick up a bouncer than it is to go online yeah. and meet somebody. As a friend once said to point it out to me, well, at least they own a computer. <laughs> you at least know that much about them. That in a bar, you don't even get that much information. It could be, you know, Mr. Good Bar. And it sounded like the Swingers Club was introducing people. Like it was like you, if you brought somebody in, you had to kind of make an introduction of them and vouch for them and apparently want to have sex with them. So, uh, you know, that sounds fun. Anyway, we- in William's house, they find a receipt for the exact type of wrapping paper used on the bomb this i think takes the cake for dumbest and and the um the rocket launchers yes they find model rocket igniters similar to model rocket igniters Mm -hmm. which was like so you saved the receipt really 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they find a box of condoms, which they believe he used to fill with gasoline, and that's how he added the accelerant to the Because mailbox. nobody would have slept with him, so right. he clearly didn't need them They were really fur, right? They were like, clearly these condoms were for this, and I was like, could he have not used them to have sex? And it was like, well, the swingers club didn't want him around, so apparently not. I don't They're know, also, but like, for, it was like, that was a big leap for me. I was like, he could have just gotten balloons. Why get condoms? Well, and what we would learn after this is that there was an extended trial. He did not plead guilty. He said he was innocent, uh, even though they also found trace amounts of gunpowder in his kitchen. Uh, unusual files saved on his CD, on CDs, uh, including research <laughs> on bombing investigations. Apparently, none of this research said... Um, throw out the receipt that you use to buy the implements for of the, the bomb equipment. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's charged with first degree murder and arson. Uh, uh, he pleads not guilty and he maintained his innocence throughout the trial. There was an extended He still trial. maintains his innocence to this day while he is serving three concurrent life sentences. Yeah. So, um, and as they pointed out on the gossip, in, in one final gossipy note, they said, if he'd thrown out that receipt, he might not be in prison today. Uh, it's that was the takeaway. So if uh, you're going to be a mad bomber, destroy all your receipts, for heaven's sakes. Uh, but I, I really, that was my question, too. Like, were you not expect? Also, the revelation is, if he is guilty, he could have given a shit about his daughter. That's really the cold-hearted part about it. Like, because as they said, if she had opened the package, like in the living room with the family all there, they would all be dead. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and one of the details that we didn't include, um, but like, not only did he owe uh, child support, he owed her a $28,000 flat payment plus child support. And he had a court date like two days after this event that include that and if he didn't show up with twenty eight thousand dollars he was going to prison he was going to jail so he was up against it there was it was it was more of an imperative for him so maybe if killing the daughter was like if the daughter was still alive would he still have to pay the money i don't know but like maybe he was less selective about that i have no idea but it did seem pretty cold-hearted that he would put a bomb in a house with his own daughter. I mean, it was like a grown woman who was a child. The detectives presented that as proof initially upon their first interview. They thought that he couldn't have done it. And that must have had something to do with how upset he was when they showed up on his front doorstep. So maybe he was just a good actor, but, but yeah, it was, it was quite a thing. I mean, I think that the interview that also stayed with me was with Marjorie Lillian's stepmother who said that to this day, she doesn't regret bringing the package inside the house because she thinks if she didn't, a neighborhood child might have opened it right. and and been killed. I thought that was pretty big of her to basically say that she, even though her daughter lost her life, that she was still grateful that a child in the neighborhood didn't lose their life And as she well. said she felt like Lillian would have felt the same way. Wow. That Lillian would not have wanted somebody else to die in her place. Like, she didn't feel like Lillian was that sort of person, which 
explains, you know, why the people from the Swingers Club were fonder of Lillian than they were of William. Uh, and, and let me, can I just say, like, and why did we need all of those commentators talking about the supposed danger of Swingers Clubs when it was not someone from the Swingers Club who had murdered her? Like, I, I, they kept building that up. they and were that sort gossiping. Of- it's called yeah. death by gossip. The, <laughs> some of those people were included. Why do we need Rita at all except for gossip? Like, it right. was... It was a show about gossiping. And there was a moment at the end where it was clear that the TV interviewers had said to all of them, and can you just tell us how you think gossip played a role in this case? Because they all gave their answer. Well, I think where the gossip came in is that if people hadn't been talking so much about blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, I see the connection somewhat, but, you know. Or the newspaper reporter saying that he was shocked by the BBW thing. or Yeah, um, sure, dude. Or the ATF agent say, he put a bomb in the house with his own daughter. Who does that, he said, <laughs> which was very professional, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty. I but you were not a fan. You were not a fan of I, I, Death I, by Gossip. I, I was I'm going to say this. Do, are, yes. do you want to watch it again? Do you want to do more episodes of Death by Gossip? You know, I could totally see watching another episode of this show. Like it was I thought it was like we obviously we were looking for something because of this, the season um, that would be true crime TV club worthy, but also be holiday worthy. So it was a nice sort of crossover with that. But yeah, I think I would give this one another chance. It was the reenactments were pretty good. The the casting on the reenactments was um, fantasy. Turn down the volume and have a different experience. <laughs> and, uh, and the, uh, what and, are you, you turning know, the down the volume was, for? So you can imagine them saying sweet nothings to you, Eric Shawquin. So that they can stop talking about people being brutally murdered in, <laughs> <laughs> a, like it's hard to really have I, I I guess unless that's your kink it's for me it's a little hard to have um, a quality fantasy experience uh, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be as far as we'll go with that let's, let's um, just go while that listening part. to people describe them being people's eyes blown out and set on fire and thrown across the room and killed Awful. instantly and you know that doesn't really turn me on as much so i think you'd have to sort of dial that back a little bit mm-hmm. indeed indeed it was really kind of just an awful crime i have to say like the uh, the delivery of it was so salacious and whatever oh to get back to the earlier topic I, i'm willing to do another one i i will hold out hope that uh, even though this may sound like a breathtakingly hypocritical thing, given the the lighter tone of some of our podcasts, that Wendy's tone as a narrator of murder evolves a bit, and she seems a little oh, bit less telemarketery. I, I really wouldn't count on that. I okay, don't see I that. I don't see Wendy um, changing her scene. She is she's Wendy is pretty comfortable with Wendy. There, yeah. There's very little, uh, I think, chance of her. Like she did this thing where she would go on and eat strange things. Mm-hmm. For uh, on her uh, on her Instagram account because everybody was working from home, so uh-huh. she was doing her talk show from home, and she would have exotic food items, and uh, people would tune in to eat. I think it was um, I think it was Stephen Colbert became addicted to watching her go online and eat <laughs> strange things, and it was either Stephen Colbert or it was uh, John Oliver. It was one mm-hmm. of the two of them. Um, yeah. became totally committed to. Um, watching Wendy eat weird things because it was now were these un- these were edible things right they weren't oh like yeah a- it wasn't okay. like she was eating soap and toilet paper it was um, <laughs> Wendy eats a ball of twine 
Yeah. No, it was like um, a plate of smoked salmon and bananas or something. You know what I mean? Like it was unusual. It wasn't as bad as that, but it was unusual um, food items uh, as opposed to inedible things. Yeah. She didn't eat up an appliance or anything. Yeah. Oh, an Teeds a blender, piece by piece. Okay, I, I don't really have anything against Wendy Williams. I don't necessarily know if I was a huge fan of her performance her. in this. You love Wendy. You want to be best friends with Wendy. You love Wendy I more love than you Wendy love Williams. me. I would love to be able to call her up and talk about stuff. Okay. I love her. But there's other stuff in the world of true crime TV that we wanted to talk about this week because we're just going to go out on a limb and say we think we have some true crime fans who listen to our show. And so you had noticed that some new specials are coming out, and there's oh, one on HBO in particular God. that you're excited about. What are you excited yes, about, Eric? Yes, the, the, um, the new HBO show. What is it called? Uh, Crazy Not Insane? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is It's a documentary on HBO that's coming up this week um, about... Uh, the psychiatrist who has interviewed uh, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, uh, uh, the uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. She's interviewed a lot of really high-profile serial killers to try and get a picture of what makes a serial killer a serial killer. She says in the in the trailer, you know, we might all kill. That's really, you know, that's really a part of being human, but. What is it that flips a switch in these people that makes them mm-hmm. seem like mm-hmm. they that they might be serial killers? And one of the things that she also talks about was, you know, despite she said it's just these are people who have come from really difficult backgrounds and and abuse. Like she said, one of the things that's noteworthy about Ted Bundy that even Ted um, himself kept alive the myth that he was this ordinary child raised in this ideal circumstance. He said, she said the abuse in his life began before he was actually even born. So mm. I'm interested to see a more in-depth look at what kind of mental twist would bring people to, into that sort of horrific life, which was, um, I don't know, fascinating for me. And she's not, you know, some Yahoo. She is a, a psychiatrist who's been studying the phenomenon all of her life. Mm-hmm. And then What's there the was... the other show? I can't remember. Uh, well, it's... Uh, are you talking about the international show we wanted to mention? Oh, right. Yeah, we do have listeners from abroad, and we try not to be woefully American at all times, but there is a new Netflix true crime series about a crime from Argentina. It's called Carmel, Who Killed Maria Marta? And it uh, premiered a few weeks ago on Netflix here in the United States. It may be on other platforms in other countries. Yeah, it takes place in Argentina, and it's a four-part series which looked really interesting, but it is definitely a Spanish-language true crime uh, TV series which looked really interesting to us. It's the conviction and wrongful conviction and it looked really like interested twisty and turny it looked like it would be a a fun series so those were two things that were coming up in the the wonderful world of uh true crime tv that we thought were worth uh calling attention to and next that were not wendy williams related on our next episode we're doing something for the first time we're introducing a whole new thing a new segment and it's called christopher and eric's true crime movie time in all honesty it's had several titles in development but that is the one we have settled on we settled on that one 
Christopher true and Eric's crime, true crime movie, movie time. time. And that is where we're going to serve up a movie for you that was inspired or based on a real-life case. And because we are who we are, which means we talk about gay porn a lot, we are going to be serving up the film King Cobra, starring James Franco, Garrett Clayton, and Christian Slater, which is based on a real-life murder that took place in the gay porn industry in 2007. And which I have never seen. So, uh-huh, um, I've seen it. Though I actually bought the Blu-ray when the movie first came out. I ordered the Blu-ray because I figured, you know, it'd be something I'd want to hang on to for sentimental reasons. Um, I have never actually seen the movie, so we're mm-hmm. going to do that. We figure it's that time of year where you're home and you want to watch movies, so why not? We thought, well, this would be the sort of movie we could uh, give a kind of casual review to and uh, chew over with our uh, our friends from the Party People set. Absolutely. And at the standard disclaimers still apply. You are not required to watch it in advance, and we're going to serve it up for you in enough salacious detail that you'll feel like you've watched it, even if you hadn't. I will say this, speaking from experience, please do not confuse it with the other film, King Cobra, starring Pat Morita, which is about a giant, <laughs> genetically altered King Cobra that gets loose in the Arizona desert and terrorizes a small town and does not have good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Just but a maybe warning. Maybe that's something that would be interesting to you. So maybe you should confuse it with that. Maybe you'd rather <laughs> see that than uh, than uh, the the true crime gay porn uh, movie. And uh, yeah, that w- it was Cobra Kai too. Like that was Pat Morita was involved with Cobra Kai. Cobra too, Kai. Like I don't know if he's actually appearing on the series Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai is set in the present day, and it's what would have happened to the characters if they grew up. And I know they're bringing them back gradually. But, but weren't they called Cobra Kai back in the day? Wasn't that the name? Yes, of the, Cobra the dojo Kai was the... the evil dojo where the evil white yes. people did karate. So yeah, I think he was even in the olden times when it was still Karate Kid days. There was still Cobra Kai. So. <laughs> But this refers to a murder involving a company that was known as Cobra Video, and the only snakes it's got anything to do with are figurative. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Stick around for the jokes. So, um, R, 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 Yeah, really very subtle in the way that pornography usually is. Subtle porn film. Golden Jugs production. <laughs> you know what I wanted to do? You know, because you know how porn shops used to always be by the airport? I wanted to have a porn company called By the Airport Films, like BY. Right? But our or, BBBI. And that's where the strip clubs are, too. Right. By the Airport Films. I thought it could have been, yeah. you know, a great thing. Uh, yeah. Great ideas that never came to pass. Okay. And I think we'll also be In doing a little of bit of. Uh, Fact checking on King Cobra. We're going to be doing a little truth versus uh, a deep dive, a co- King Cobra fiction. deep dive. Okay. Well, I had way too much true crime tea before this episode. I'm going to, you know, not caffeinate quite. I so don't know. Much. I think it may have been Oreo related. I'm going with Oreo. <laughs> it's Oreo related. Until way next too time, many Oreos. Until next time, I'm Christopher Rice, and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you've been listening to TDPS presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.